listening to Radio Level 5. Welcome to another interview for Radio Level 5. Good morning in this uh, sense. It's really early in the morning and uh, I am doing an interview, me that is Olaf Winkler for Radio Level 5 with uh, uh, Els and Rob. Maybe you introduce yourselves uh, because I'm not interviewing you two, even though you're both part of Level 5. In, well, exactly as individual persons, of course, uh, that could be part of the talk as well. But mainly... Um, as let's say delegates but also founders of permanent and uh, yeah so maybe uh, else you're an architect rob you're an artist but not the general kind who's producing work maybe more organizational so uh, yeah maybe uh, else we start with you maybe you can quickly say um, what you're doing else mm -hmm. Sivron, do, do you pronounce your name Sylvain? i never really maybe you pronounce your name first I'm of all with the impossible last name so just it's actually Silverans, Silverans barkley but so you it's flemish call, you can just call me else which is probably easier um yeah hi olaf uh, thank you so much for for having us uh, on this uh, wonderful series um I find it quite funny that you call me an architect, which is probably my the latest version of myself. I tend to reinvent myself probably every 10 years. <laughs> I'm actually not a trained architect, but it's true that I'm working within, uh, within a, 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 an architecture school right now, teaching architecture, but rather from a, let's say a broader perspective of spatial production. Um, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I would identify myself rather as a curator and an activist, or, or a, rather a a curator turned activist. I've been working mainly in the, in performing and later in visual arts um, and uh, with you know pretty classical career within art institutions. And then a couple of years ago, I decided to take a different route and, and do something a little bit more impactful instead of just talking about, let's say things in society, trying to become part of the solution and uh, activating, activating or you know, being part of a process of trying to make, make difference also in our art field, but also beyond. Um, so um, that's how I turned a little bit to the city as my play field. I still work with artists also outside of the uh, art institutions. And um, yeah, I work for the Community Land Trust Brussels, which I think is an important aspect of this project as we will explain it a bit. And I'm not a founder of Permanent, maybe also to say that, neither is Rob, I think. Um, I mean, we were there from the very, very beginning, um, but it's the foundation of the project is actually kind of a broader, a broader initiative and, and, and multiple people were part of that. So. Yeah, I, I made more like founding members, but maybe even that is not precise. But what I meant is that you were there from the beginning. Uh, I joined some meetings. So my questions are very honest in the sense of I have been inside permanent for a short uh, well for short times short moments but there's a lot that I don't know so it's really not that I'm like pretending to not no no sure really not that I don't <laughs> like uh, I, I I know you very much from the city field from the architecture field so it's quite interesting and Rob maybe also the same mm. with you uh, as this is purely acoustic uh, listeners can't see that you shook your head when I said <laughs> artist but you're yeah. working in the artist field also maybe mm -hmm. curating but it's, it's really interesting that both of you are not in this very very limited discipline so uh, Rob Ritzen your last name is a bit easier for me yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe you can quickly say what you what you yeah. feel like doing mainly yeah so I don't consider myself an artist uh, I uh, surrounded with a lot of artists on level five um, 
as a member of Level 5. Um, but I see myself more as organizing within the art field, exhibition maker, um, and I'm trying to put like ideas I, I encountered in uh, like political activism and in uh, my studies, uh, which were philosophy and uh, museology, uh, to bring that into the art fields, um, kind of on the sides where uh, the process of making art uh, is, is, uh, is situated. So um, uh, for me, level five is a really interesting surrounding for that. And um, I'm happy to be part of that. And it's also there that I encountered um, uh, Permanent. So indeed, I, I think uh, Permanent doesn't really have founders, but it's uh, more like a movement of things coming together. And uh, me and Els uh, are at this moment of time uh, uh, trying to coordinate all the movements. And uh, maybe at one po other point in time, uh, other people will do that. So, yeah. But it is, it is already quite interesting because uh, before we started and in the days before when I prepared a bit the questions and the topics for me, I was asking myself if you consider permanent as a group, as a a non-profit organization as a movement uh, maybe you can already describe a tiny bit what is if i would ask what is permanent how would you answer also content wise of course because people maybe have heard of it but those who didn't they might now ask themselves yeah what are they talking about what is this permanent what, is, what are you actually doing we're keeping up the <clears throat> tension well, I think it's a it's a little bit of everything of that, but it's first and foremost it's 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 trying to look for a solution, which is a solution to a problem that um, lots of the people within the movement have encountered in their in their careers, often uh, for many years in a row, which is to be confronted with a lack of affordable uh, studio spaces in Brussels specifically, and kind of an evolution in that where it actually has become more and more difficult to get access to good uh, studio infrastructure. Whereas uh, let's say 10 years ago through temporary use, which was then kind of not yet the hip, uh, the hip model that it is today was kind of unexplored. And as, as you know, Olaf, there's a lot of empty office buildings and in general, just a lot of empty space in Brussels. And it was an easy match for artists to you know, temporary use one of those empty buildings and, and settle down for a couple of years. But what we have seen or what this group has seen is that the time that was given to actually get access to those buildings was shortening and shortening more and more. And secondly, they also became aware of the kind of unwanted side effects of being temporary housed in those often abandoned uh, environments in these buildings and seen that uh, developers or uh, policymakers or different other parties would kind of deem their uh, the energy and the activity that they brought to the environment is kind of an interesting tool to actually uh, speculate or start speculating with the, with the property value. So they saw that they became part of a gentrification process, which in the end also pushed themselves out, but also brought them fundamentally in uh, conflict with the content of their practice or how they wanna be in the world. Um, you know, being used in, in this scheme of property-driven development. And, and so I think it's from there, from this, uh, on the one hand, this, uh, you know, realizing that 
it's getting harder and harder just to get access to space to to produce and to work as artists and on the one hand being part of a process of gentrification uh, unwantedly that permanent was born in an attempt to find an alternative uh, which is on the one hand a development a very concrete plan so what we want to do is to develop a building develop a building that, that gives uh, space to artists on a permanent basis and that's also where the name comes from um, so to step away from temporary use but at that at the same time that also allows for artists to take up a different position and for their symbolic capital not to be misused in processes of gentrification but to reuse and reclaim that symbolic capital to allow for different kinds of urban developments to be possible in the, in the city who is who is involved in this? I know that uh, as I'm myself and part of Level 5, I know that Level 5 as a group as such is uh, involved. And of course, we are living and working in exactly the situations that uh, you are describing right now. And uh, Rob as a very much driving force in this Level 5 uh, and, and somebody, you don't like this founding idea, but I know that uh, I remember the first meetings and, and uh, Rob has been, you have been from the beginning a driving force of it, so you know it very well, but it's not only level five. I mean, there's somebody, if I may say that, um, in the building where we are now, we have on the sixth floor, we have people, but maybe uh, you can describe these uh, other groups that are involved also. Yeah, so actually um, permanent came about by two dynamics. So a group that is now on the six in the same building as level five, the former Arcteos building. Uh, they came from uh, the World Trade Center where actually a group of artists, they um, uh, negotiated a regular rental contract with the owner and rented a whole floor on the 25th floor on, of the World Trade Towers, which now are uh, de uh, demolished or dismantled. Um, and actually in the last years of the building, they uh, got kind of subsumed in uh, the, the um, process of bringing that neighborhood uh, again uh, in the development phase. So, uh, the, the owners or investors in that area, they, they build up a whole project to, to, make, uh, to gentrify the neighborhood. Um, on the other hand, level five comes from uh, mostly from uh, Rue Manchester, which uh, was a privately owned building, um, but was uh, sold to the region or the region bought it. And the artists had to get out. And that's how we ended up in the Arcteris building, which was a building owned by the, by the region, but uh, sold to private partner. Um, and, and that's how we come together. Um, then from the start, we knew that we, uh, this, we had this idea that indeed in our search for space in the city, we, we also uh, were in competition with other groups like, like uh, Sans Papier looking for space. Uh, there's a lot of uh, homelessness. Um, and that's why we thought we need to work together with uh, organizations that uh, work on these uh, topics. So we um, encountered uh, uh, Global Roma, who is uh, working with uh, newcomers. They have an uh, effective uh, infrastructure for newcomers. Uh, we, who mostly are also artists um, and indeed because uh, we wanted to look for models that uh, go beyond temporary use 
and uh, uh, bring in like uh, permanent uh, affordability, we started talking to CLTB, uh, Community mm -hmm. Land Trust Brass, yeah. Brussels, yeah. Before we talk uh, about community land trust, um, because that is something which we, I think, have to explain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I, I didn't want to interrupt you. Just yeah, one, there is one more important partner. Uh, uh, it's the VEB. So the, the link to the university, uh, as in that they really want to be part of the city and um, yeah, research the dynamics, but also be part of those dynamics of uh, Brussels, uh, I think is also really interesting. So. Yeah, so for us, it was, Olaf, maybe to clarify what, what Rob was just, I mean, not to clarify, it was pretty clear, but just to mm -hmm. add uh, on it. Um, I think the Manchester city is, a, is a, what you just briefly mentioned, which is a bit the genealogy also of level five is quite an interesting one because actually, ironically, so the areas or the buildings that you, that as artists you were in, in the beginning, I, I can say you because I wasn't part of that group, mm -hmm. is now being redeveloped as a kind of a cultural zone. So mm -hmm. the irony of, you know, using the discourse of artist and artistic development as a kind of a pretext for for uh, like a, yeah a profit-driven development, even within the context of public development, uh, that is then actually not made a not made um, um, sorry that was my phone not made accessible to the artist itself, and this kind of disconnect between the imagery of the artists in the city and how it is being used. For profit-driven development and the reality on the floor of how artists actually have to so that was something we wanted to resolve and then from the beginning indeed was this kind of at the basic the basic dna of uh, of uh, of permanent is that we wanted to go for a mixed-use project uh, to kind of uh, overcome this dichotomy or this competition with other groups we thought how can we what i was saying earlier use our own symbolic capital for a different kind of development and also i mean concretely that means how can we make space for also for affordable housing, for example, also for different kind of educational spaces, for community infrastructure. How can we all, um, uh, how can we develop together? And how can we also, instead of being competitors, how can we mutualize our needs? How can we go into conversation with these groups? What do we have in common? Uh, and where can we enforce our, ourselves and trying to at least safeguard, at least safeguard a few uh, centrally located spaces in the city for those kind of functions that are being pushed out because I often say that gentrification is not just about um, it's not just about the fact that the that the price of properties are going up and, 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 and things are getting more expensive it's also the, the, um, the kinds of functions that it produces that are very much tailored to the needs of a white middle class um, uh, white middle class uh, community and, and really does not, uh, you know, uh, is not tailored to the needs of other groups. So um, that's kind of the basic DNA, permanent affordability. So stepping out of, uh, of, of temporary use and, uh, and mutualizing with other groups. Yeah, which is it's really interesting because um, it's quite important that it, uh, I could imagine that many people, if they hear about it, they think, oh, okay, the artists are just looking for something permanent, which is nice and okay and understandable, but it's just artists. And I mean, uh, so, and then some people outside the art world might even have the idea that you can sell a painting for millions and what, what is their problem? So um, it's quite important that it's actually an, a very inclusive project. Um, and 
uh, well, we don't have to talk about quantity so much, but still like the idea of studios or artist studios is rather a small part or just one part of the entire project. To mm -hmm. just get this clear, so this means that we are talking about, uh, in the first sense, uh, of course, artist studios, but that's only one part. Um, let's call it social housing, uh, social housing not as an economic answer to questions that we can talk about later on, but in the sense of uh, groups that have more difficulties to, in bigger cities, find places to live and uh, to keep them affordable, but also cultural parts, right? There's also the idea or the part of the concept that this could include um, places to meet, let's say, let yeah. that uh, cultural production, uh, but not only cultural production in the sense of high class art, but also just on a communal level and so on. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, the thing is a bit, I mean, that's where uh, uh, the program is still a little bit open ended. We also, we always use this kind of one third, one third, one third uh, division just as a kind of a mental frame, which means one third artist studios, one third housing, and then one third what we would rather qualify as. Uh, as public spaces, uh, and this one third is, is is something that really needs to respond to where the building is situated, which is something that we borrow from the community land trust model as well that we can elaborate on in a bit. You know, not just to also copy paste functions into a certain part of the city, but really also look into the landscape of where we are going to be, uh, what is needed there, and to really adapt to it uh, and, and to see, well, you know, there's daycare center needed here, or no, we need a sports hall here. And to be responsive to that and not to disregard also the actual uh, fabric that we're going to integrate um, and, and allow for something to be open. So that is still, it's, and, and even the one third, one third, as we're now in a process of indeed kind of um, thinking a little bit more in depth about this program is, is still very much the you know in, in in process right now with with VUB coming in there will probably also be a part of educational infrastructure which means very concretely some you know classrooms and and, and offices for university uh, researchers and uh, and there that will be interesting to see how then for example in a, in a university auditorium in the evening can become a performance space for the artist in the building or can be a public school for the neighborhood. Uh, but there's still a, a like a, a main part of the program that we deliberately uh, keep open so that we can respond really to the needs on the floor. Yeah, and at the same time, the the VUB, the well, the Flemish-speaking University of Brussels, um, is accompanying the project with research uh, projects. Is that right? So you have like a theoretical reflection permanently running. Yeah, so there's a partnership with uh, Cosmopolis or uh, Brussels Center of Urban Studies. Uh, and that's indeed more like a partnership of, of research, so uh, organizing workshops um, and uh, maybe some expert panels. Um, but the, from the beginning, actually, there's also the intention that uh, for kind of an infrastructural partnership. So uh, to really uh, talk about uh, uh, like the spatial needs of uh, the VUB and uh, the possibility of them uh, working together in such a, such a group, such a diverse group. What would a university uh, be or do within such a uh, configuration? I mean, um, yeah, students together with uh, newcomers uh, at one table, um, 
urban uh, people who study um, creative economy together with uh, uh, artists in one building that could be interesting dynamic i guess yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something which I which I really like because when I was like involved in permanent a few times or permanent, um, mm. it was always interesting to see that the, the university was not just a theoretical thing, but people from the VUB were really present and uh, there was some exchange with them. Mm. Maybe to to make it understandable how it can become really like a practical thing. Um, you could describe this community land trust model a tiny bit because it's a model which exists already since well 15 20 years i don't even know when it started even longer ago longer. even longer in the i think pretty strong in the states mm -hmm. in the united states but um it has so far as i know mainly had its focus on living space so that is mainly residential um there is models of examples in Brussels as well, in Molenbeek, as far as I know, but um, you are including other functions as well, so you're also a pioneer at the same time. But how does this community land trust model work? What is the specific thing about it? Well, I mean, we were looking for this, we've been, you know, uh, hanging, uh, talking about this magic word permanent affordability, so we were looking for a model that would also re allow us to rethink classical ownership. Um, and, uh, and maybe look into more collective schemes of, of ownership. And uh, the community land trust is interesting because it proposes a model that divides the ownership of the land to the ownership of the bricks on top of that land. And it considers really that the land fundamentally should not be cut into pieces and capitalized with, that the land is something that should belong to everyone, like, you know, like the air or, uh, you know other basics in nature and that we should really consider it like that. The basic uh, premise of the community land trust model is that um, with uh, donations or with government subsidies uh, they buy up pieces of land and then they develop uh, and the land goes into a trust and then they develop projects on top of those lands that uh, people can buy. So it's a it's generally like in, in its in its original outset it's a model to sell so the people can buy but they can buy only the bricks but of course because they don't have to pay for the land these bricks or these houses on top of these lands they become much more affordable huh? like in general it depends a bit it's it's 30 40 percent uh, lower than than market rates which makes them accessible and affordable for low-income people and then once you acquire uh, such a home you can after a while decide to re resell it but because of the uh, being on a community land, we can impose, or the community landers can impose a closure on them that they cannot resell with profits. So they can, there's a, actually a small correction in the price so that they don't lose the money in the value of the property. But in general, uh, you cannot sell it with profits. And so it remains permanently affordable for, uh, for multiple generations. And that's, that's the, basic, the basic idea of the community land trust is that once you invest in this infrastructure that it remains affordable in the, in the long run. I, you know, it's, in, in, it's true that in Brussels, Brussels is kind of pioneering the community land trust in, in Europe uh, together with Lille in, Fran in, French, in France and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the United Kingdom. Um, so they are focusing a lot on housing, but it is true that a third uh, important aspect of the community land trust though, is to try to mix it up with other infrastructures, even though in Brussels, it's a bit more complicated because they have funding for housing, 
um, actually for just for buying land for housing. Um, so a third important thing is to work with the people inside uh, the projects. So who will be inhabiting it to uh, produce the architecture. So it's, it's really also about giving people a voice and how the project should look like. And especially those people who generally don't have a voice. So each time they try to also include at least one public, small public infrastructure in a housing project. It can be, it can be a sports hall. It can be a little uh, canteen. Uh, it can be small things. It can be a community garden. It can be a little shed for the local park uh, cleaners. There's different uh, config configurations possible, but with where indeed also they try to uh, to engage with 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 the direct surroundings and really. Also, together with the, with the future inhabitants, you know, reflect on what this building could be for the neighborhood and not only for them. Yeah, but uh, may I interrupt? There's a uh, few I'm questions already. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is that <laughs> I already have a few questions which might be typical questions or maybe it's yeah. just mine. First of all, uh, uh, this sounds magical, but uh, where does the money come from that the community land trust have? Because they, they are actually buying them the land, right? So the community land trust remains the owner as a communal. Mm -hmm ownership of but land, still yeah. they exist of the land so where do they get the money from is it like a foundation or where does the money yeah come? so it's a it's a it's kind of a non-profit public partner public private partnership yeah so i think it the model is very different in every country because it has to adapt itself to legal situations but in belgium uh, and, and and then i should even clarify only in brussels they get government funding they have two million per year two million euro per year to buy lands and they also have a, a, like a, some money to run the office for the people who are working there. Uh, so that's covered. And then the rest, the actual construction fees, like the building of the bricks is done through the sale of the homes. Yeah. At which, low would, yeah. which would be the next question then. Um, I understand that the people, I, I know one or two models in, or examples in Brussels. I'm not 100% sure if they're all community land trusts, but, <clears throat> sorry. Um, but in general, the idea is that the people who will live there uh, for a much cheaper price can buy, for example, a house. They can buy it together or they buy parts of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. If we are talking about public functions, you would also need an owner for that to keep this model at least kind of clear. Who would be the owner of, for example, the one third public functions in the model that you are promoting now? So maybe to, to quickly like connect that to permanent, how we see it more, and then I will answer your question. And then I also let Rob speak again a bit, but uh, <laughs> it's a bit technical. So what we envision is we're gonna try to find government funding to buy the land of the property that we wanna develop. Um, it can go in different ways. It can just give us the cash, uh, even though it will be really hard, uh, even with a subsidy to buy at market rates. Or ideally, actually, we get access to a publicly owned building right now where the government wants to do something that is not sell it off to the market. And then we will mutualize uh, the, 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 basically the money that all the different partners currently involved in the project have to actually develop the project. So it's the same... So we get government funding and we actually we also pitch it to the government like that. We tell them, you know, for 30, 40% of the price, you get a fully public infrastructure, but only for 30, 40% of the price, which is the cost of the land. And then uh, we will have to, and that's where it really becomes an innovation more. The idea of cultural infrastructure on top for the community land trust is we're going to have to combine uh, infrastructure for sale. So the homes, a lot of the homes will be for sale. We will need the cash flow and to develop the project but we will combine it with a cooperative setup on top of the community land trust. 
that can then uh, obviously uh, you know, uh, earn back the investment through rental. Because for us, it's really, really, really important that uh, especially the artist studios, that, there's, that they're predominantly rental, uh, rental uh, infrastructure. Because we've seen in other examples, if we make them sales, then it, you know, it, just, it, it just remains within one community and we want to keep, and we also know that artists sometimes need to move. So we want to keep it dynamic. And that will be obviously then still, uh, that's kind of the pretext of the practice-based research that we are in is to find precisely this out. How are we gonna do this? Who will then be the owner? Will we go for a collaborative uh, cooperative? Will, be, will there be two, three different cooperatives? Um, I mean, that's precisely kind of the, the core of the, of the work that we're doing right now and the things that we need to figure out. How, how, uh, how to rethink ownership within those tools those cooperative and non-anti-speculative uh, like development tools uh, that, that actually make sense for the, for the partners at hand. Yeah. Maybe that brings us also to the, to the means and the tools that you are using. Uh, maybe it's quite interesting to know that you have a, a website, permanent.com.be, I don't even know. Uh, Permanentbrussels.org. Oh, okay. It might uh, to permanent.brussels. Yeah. Okay, so permanentbrussels.org at the moment. Um, so if somebody wants to, to check that out, because it's, it's really quite interesting, you are very transparent on the tools that you're using. And, um, but part of what you're doing right now are, for example, workshops mm. with architects. And um, that is quite interesting, because of course, architects have to solve all the problems in the world they always had to <laughs> no but, no but as you describe it it's also it's mainly social problems it's economical problems it's really like a very complex system which is super interesting but that also means that uh, you have to come from very different directions how do you do these workshops what are the aims of the workshops right now maybe rob you can i think the first workshop is next week was in three days or so um, and thursday so yeah okay when people listen to this it will already be done but uh, i mean there were workshop like situations before and these workshops i think you have one yeah. per month approximately scheduled so mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can tell us how you get closer to these questions so indeed so now uh, there's a series of five workshops coming up uh, and those are initiated indeed by the work group uh, of architects so there's a work group with four architects um um I'm not going to name them, maybe. Or it's Laura Meldemans, who is also part of Level 5, Aurelie Hache from uh, uh, AHA, or Ash, Ahash, uh, and uh, Sveg Rigby, Thomas, uh, Thomas and Rigby, yeah. and Maxime. Um, and um, so they propose to focus indeed on the spatial uh, consequences of um, our proposal, because they said, like, Okay, uh, you guys, you already um, are so engaged. So uh, your your um, the social trajectory, you are already are so uh, formulated on that, and uh, the financial part and the governance part. Um, uh, that's maybe something uh, we can develop uh, afterwards uh, together. For example, with uh, community land trust. Um, we want to focus first on the cons uh, what spatial consequences does that have. So, for example, the, um, the first workshop is going to be about um, um, uh, like an inventory of the users and the uses that are already there in the organizations. Um, and then they're going to um, kind of 
uh, move uh, towards like um, the surrounding where uh, permanent could be. What what effect would uh, our presence be there? But also what would be the need needs of uh, the surrounding area, um, and how could uh, those come together? Um, and one thing I find interesting is. Um, is in the follow-up uh, workshop on that is uh, to zoom in into the building and to see really, uh, um, okay, these are so many different groups, so many different uh, users and uses. How uh, are they gonna um, yeah, be in the building together? How are they not gonna be uh, everybody in one corner and, um, and uh, but really, yeah feel like uh, ownership of the building or that uh, indeed for example a kitchen can be uh, shared use or um, uh, some parts can be of public use like uh, where the neighborhood can come in or uh, maybe there are already some um, practices around the building that uh, really can have uh, a space in the building um, so that's what we want to find out there and in the last workshop is uh, really finding out, okay, um, there is not a lot of um, uh, financial means, but maybe uh, because there's so much knowledge and uh, maybe some have more time, um, can the development of the building uh, be over a longer period, for example? Um, whereas normally like a building is gonna be developed like as quick as possible, as cheap as possible. Maybe it's interesting to think about uh, inhabiting the building and developing it along the way, along like 10 years, uh, step by step. Which it's would also, mean that the group would grow in this process also. Yeah, grow and also that um, uh, the people who use it maybe feel more ownership of uh, their surrounding. And um, you don't need like really, um, financially powerful uh, partners straight away you can uh, build this up step by step yeah. Yeah. maybe um i know that permanent is busy with a specific building mainly i mean there were different kind of models and and things but mm -hmm. uh, there's one building i don't know if this can be officially communicated um <laughs> Can you talk about the building? Is it is it possible to talk about? It? I don't know. Otherwise, it's not important. But no, we can talk about the building for sure. I mean, we can we can also say that uh, that I mean, we are also not limiting our endeavor to this one particular building, which is to say that permanent will not, you know, if this doesn't work out, we'll just con we'll just continue to work on other yeah. we are on other scenarios. But indeed, we uh, are we have been looking for a long time to a large enough infrastructure because we need minimum ten thousand square meters to give you a bit of a scope of the of the of the infrastructure we're looking at, and we really want it to be in a central location, uh, also for ideological reasons, uh, as you can explain, uh, understand, and ideally in a in a context where we can provide with some resistance to a, a like a, a process of change or gentrification that is threatening to happen. And, you know, so there's not that many options. Um, and we, for example, we also looked at Petit Chateau, but that's a very complicated story. And ideally it should also be a building, sorry, to add in public hands uh, because it's just more realistic uh, than to think that we will get government subsidies to buy it, buy it off uh, private hands. And so there's not so many. 
And that's how we got really interested in the in the fire station in the Helihavenland, which is in the in the north quarter, which is I think for some of us a really uh, kind of a, yeah, and not I wouldn't say emotional, but it's um, it's an it's a it's a quarter with with a, with a bit of personal history as well. Uh, Rob already mentioned the VTC project being really formative, I would say, to some of the founding fathers of the project. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's the building that we are currently looking at. It's fifteen thousand square meters. It's right next to Canal. It's into this next to the Maximilian Park. It's close. It, there's a lot of things happening in the North Quarter again. Um, there's again a regained interest. Uh, so it it makes a lot of sense for us to be there. And also the building in itself is kind of interesting. It also has a lot of uh, of uh, spaces that we could also reuse. Um, mm. So voila, that's that's the building. Yeah, but I, I was mainly, I, I would say that probably a lot of people don't even know the building. I mean, mm -hmm. um, but the more important thing about it is really where it is situated. And it's quite interesting because it is part of the Northern Quarter, which is very much in change right now. Um, but it's also very close to the inner city. It's really not very far from, um, uh, from from the inner city, even the northern quarter, I think this uh, for for some of us in in the Actiris building, there is some emotional connection to to this part of the city. But for approximately eighty percent of the other people from Brussels, they have probably never been to the northern area because you don't go there. It's just huge administrative buildings from the seventies onward, and which are now changing. So it's really interesting, and. Um, so that was mainly the point that you, like you said, Maximilian Park, you have some really, really social issues in the area. Um, you have the, the, the canal project in between. Um, so things will change. And that brings me to this, to, to maybe more like a general perspective. How do you feel about responses from administrators from Brussels, but also like a public. I don't know how much you are involved with people that are not really part of permanent, but could maybe reflect on this as well. Is this a time not only of physical change in the Northern Quarter, but in general of about how we think about the city? Are the people open? Not just city Brussels, but the city in general as an idea, as a concept of city. Are people open mm -hmm. for this model? Um, it's a go ahead, Rob, you go. <laughs> no, yeah, I think in, let's say in, um, for example, from Kunstepunt or from uh, uh, the art scene, uh, yes, there is a need to, to find uh, some stability again in their workspaces, but also a need to um, engage more with what is happening in the city. I think that's really present in, in, in Brussels. Um, and yeah. Else from yeah, from a policy perspective, I this is this is the slippery slope of permanent. Mm. Obviously, it's like a, a kind of an ongoing um, tension uh, that I think we are navigating pretty well because we're so aware of the slipperiness of the whole situation. Is that on the one hand there's real interest? It's a very sexy project, Olaf. I mean, even for policymakers. It's really, and, and we also have to, of course, uh, kind of pitch it a little bit as such. It has the artist inside, it's kind of innovative. So, you know, the new models, the, then it also has a, has a kind of a societal ambition. And, and you know, so we're, we're definitely very sexy to policymakers. Um, 
and we are getting really very positive responses. We also get support. Um, so, so YVUB is supporting us. We're kind of a bit of a projet phare. Uh, but on the other hand, we have to be also, uh, we have to make that sexiness work for us. And, and, and all the time also make sure that we're not being yet again instrumentalized. Yeah, I could imagine. Uh, that we are not yet again losing our autonomy, where we can really make our own decisions in terms of program making, for example. There's like internally really fundamental discussion as to whether we shouldn't even be, whether we should even be in the North Quarter. Should artists be there? Should we make space for other groups? I mean, it's this constant tension where on the one hand, we have to develop, we want to develop a project, <laughs> the 15,000 square meter project. If we would go for the Haley Havanland, we need money for that. So we need to pitch it in a sexy way, but we cannot at the same time lose our autonomy and our activism and our radical approach to things uh, in, in, in making the decisions on our own terms. So that's, um, that's kind of a little bit the, the balancing act that we have to do all the time. But it's exciting, I have to say. And um, we, we are, I mean, uh, kind of um, not really surprised. I'm personally not surprised, but um, at the same time, we, we are, you know, how can I say that? We are witnessing quite positive reactions uh, from different directions. And uh, yeah. The so thing it's... is also that you have mm -hmm. to, um, yeah, you have to keep going for several years. I think uh, you have to have, um, in Dutch, you say, a uh, lange adem. I don't know in English how you say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you have to have persistence in, um, in what you do because uh, these developments take a long time. And I think um, what is kind of also a dynamic is indeed to have uh, like these uh, interesting new ideas. But uh, I wonder how many really uh, come to the finish line or come into the finish line in the radical proposal they had uh, before. So that's a kind of where we really always have to be uh, reflect on our own position and uh, where we get into. But this is uh, exactly also the interesting part of permanent, this continual uh, discussion of uh, should we make the advance or uh, should we uh, be defensive? I think that's, um, yeah, that's going to develop more and more. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 really, I think it's very exciting times actually to to say it positively because mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm working as a journalist, I'm working a lot with architects and the, the matter of uh, or topic of participation and involvement and so on and planning has been around for, for lots of years. But now you have the feeling that it's really becoming a new mindset that uh, it's not only about like effective participation in one project, but it's more like the idea of a general designing, no, that mm -hmm. doesn't sound well, of developing the city or developing it together mm -hmm. from another point of view and the process of planning itself is already part of understanding the city but at mm. the same time brussels is really late in gentrification so it's gentrificating uh, right now gentrifying mm. what's the word anyways mm. it's changing a lot right now we can see that the center is turning into a tourist center much more than five years ago we see that buildings like where we were in manchester are much harder to get now for artists apart from the mm. fact that it was impossible to heat it <laughs> there were really major problems to it but all these former industrial buildings are not on the alternative market anymore so the things change a lot so in the one time we have like a movement in in 
change in Brussels to a more commercial idea of city, which has taken place in other cities much, much earlier. But at the same time, it's when these ideas of a more open, a more uh, involved, a more uh, connecting, more inclusive city mm. is also coming up. So that is, is really- Yeah, I, I, I would be uh, a little bit, sorry if I may roll on that mm. one. I, I think I would be a little bit critical to this kind of fashionable word of participation. And Walter de Rave, who is who should also be mentioned as a really important figure in, in Permanent and, and from the very beginning, uh, made together with Dietje Bowens, with Witte Say a Love Story that I would recommend yeah. to all of you, quite of a good account on how specifically within, within the North Quarter, after the modernist ideal of progress, um, actually recently it's participation that is becoming the driving force for actually a process of, of redevelopment and profit-driven de development. So it's, it's a word that is very often being misused. And yeah, and I, I know that's that's why I was triggering this because I think that the idea of participation is actually changing because like mm. uh, I remember uh, because I know Markus Miesen quite well who is one of the mm. authors this uh, book uh, did someone say participate that's probably 15 20 years old by now 15 probably so uh, and this idea has changed and it's it's mm. touching what you just said that you get in instrumentalized at the same time very much so you and have very often communities are as well it happened in the north quarter very much so in the redevelopment of the VTC, they set up a so-called participatory trajectory, but for the developer, it was already clear, you know, what the outcome of it should be. So it's just, they become kind of a performative act of, of, of you know, acting or performing participation, but it doesn't really lead, lead to, to, let's say, even though I hate that word, but that's another discussion, to more inclusive uh, processes of development. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, on the contrary, and that's like one of the things that we have to, within the trajectory, where we are really incredibly conscious about and having permanent discussions about, is how do we get people to be part of a community, uh, uh, to be part of the conversation, without yet again kind of speaking in their name, um, or bringing them in for the sake of, you know, doing something else, like how do we really build regimes of co-authorship and co-ownership over a project. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and there as architects, and this is part of my research at the university, we have to come to terms with the fact that spatial organization is choreography of body, it's per definition political, and it has always been conceived from a very specific gaze, which is a white and a male gaze. And so we need to also become aware of that, that if we wanna build spaces that allow for different bodies to feel at home, that it's really incredibly important that we also uh, dismantle those ideas and allow for different kinds of, uh, let's say, uh, imaginaries for spatial organization to, to, become, to become part of, 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 a, of a project. So in the case of, of Globaroma, for example, it means uh, they are not so interested spatially in where the front door is. They wanna, for them, it was really important that there's back doors. You know, yeah. it's actually pretty, appalling to even have to put it like that. Sharing is as much about not sharing as it is about sharing because it's about privacy, safety, belonging. Uh, what does it mean spatially and how can we allow for different groups to become really part of that conversation instead of a dominant group deciding what they need? Um, and I think this is also, I mean, very much part of, of permanent on, an, on, a, on, on, an, on a, let's say, on a design or an architectural level is to imagine to really imagine together what what um, what space of belonging, of being, of working, of sharing 
what it can be instead of imposing how common are the commons yet again an idea of commoning that comes from a very privileged and small group and imposing that on top of, uh, of, of another group and, and maybe to finish there's an amazing lecture by Charles Davies who's a, a Afro-American architectural historian and maybe something for you as well Olaf who wrote this amazing book building character where he talks about I mean he actually shows how how architecture uh, history is a lineage that is very much uh, connected to uh, race and then actually is racist very often and uh, you know he said uh, in a lecture in the end we have to stop uh, what can white they asked him what can white ar architects do and he said well you know white architects should stop being the saviors of black people and should you know do something fix the whiteness in their institution and this is we're not talking specifically on the white black brown divide even though in brussels it's a really important i mean and so it's part of the conversation as well it's an important point but it's just about not um, again imposing dominant yeah. ideologies and spatial constellations on on different on these groups Sorry, I had to insist a little bit on that. It's a bit yeah, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, but it's it's. Uh, I can feel from the energy that it's it's really a quite important uh, topic, um, and and the matter of racism is right now, of course, very very clear. Also in Brussels, not only in Brussels, um, and uh, yeah, maybe for everybody who is involved in this, it might uh, be entirely uh, clear by now what you just said. Um, but I think for everybody who is just like living his or her life and is not so much involved in the, in the matter of race and, and racism, especially matter of race sounds terrible, racism, um, it's quite important, this last point that you just said that uh, white male shouldn't be the savior of, which because the, the perspective um, of anti-racism very much still comes from a racist background, so to say, because it's still like in, involved in this. So it's, uh, I don't want to elaborate on that much more because it would clearly be another discussion mm -hmm. of several hours, but it's important to know that all these things are coming into this project of permanent, of course. But that's um, still something we really need to work on. For example, uh, I wanted to say that, for example, the participation that has been around is more like uh, the owners of buildings want to uh, have a, a participatory trajectory. Yeah. The difference, I think, what we are doing is um, we are stepping up as uh, urban developers, as uh, amateurs, like people that were not asked to talk about those things and bring forward like a proposal. What we need to work on is bring as many people as possible in the conversation uh, about the proposal we are gonna have. So we indeed, we, we, we have the attention, we as artists, for example, uh, and we want to use that attention to, 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 to get other people also on the table, people who need space in the city, uh, but are not asked or are not seen. Um, and, and that's where we really want to go to. And that's uh, what else brought forward also. Yeah. Yeah, which is, is really quite nice because it's, I, I'm, I myself am always torn a bit because on the one hand, um, well, 
we as artists and oh, I'm a journalist and artist and studied architecture. So I'm, uh, I feel like I don't have much money. I'm, I have to fight for these spaces as well, even though I let you fight for me, to be honest. Um, but uh, on the other hand, I feel like I'm part of a privileged uh, part of society, of course. But what you are doing right now, permanent, is uh, is also a self-empowerment, so to speak. I mean, you came up with concept and you're developing on this and nobody gave you this from the outside so it's actually it's a quite interesting example it's not a matter of being privileged it's a matter of getting into a position where you can maybe cause change using, work it's using on change. your privilege yeah. Yeah. it's using your yeah. privilege to do something for the non-privileged and but trying yeah. to do that in such a way that you don't impose that yeah. you don't um you know again <sighs> have to be the white savior right yeah. so uh, and it's it's i have to say i mean olaf we we're also trying to figure it out as we go and that's my interest also of being in the project and why i would invite a lot of people to you know be part of the conversation as well we we're 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 testing it out we're trying we're obviously going to make mistakes as we have and i mean it's it's something which is complex and, and difficult but we're we have to try for the sake of and that's, I think, really important for, for someone who has talked a lot about, uh, you know, the effect of capitalism or racism, systemic racism in, in society, and et cetera, et cetera. But so for me, it's like, what can we actually do? What kind of alternatives can we produce? And that's a bit what you said in the beginning. The second kind of bigger amplif amplifier with per permanent, it's, it's about developing this building first and foremost, but it's also about creating like a kind of, uh, alternative and 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 the, and the capital and the power of, of, of making an alternative uh, the alternative tangible a different kind of development model a different kind of presence for artists in the city and then it kind of also surpasses this idea of this one building mm -hmm. apart from the fact that the idea is that we're going to try to keep the process as open as possible and that we will share then also in open source, all of the tools that we've developed, the manifesto, we haven't talked about the governance tool, which is important because we need to set up spatial constellations, but then of course it needs to be run. And I think Rob is, um, is, is a very, um, is working on that in, in particular. Uh, but we wanna share all, all of that to also really empower other people that it's possible to do things differently. Yeah. It's uh, actually for me it was quite a topic, but maybe we keep it very short because it's already almost an hour that we are talking. Um, funny enough to say it cynical, cynically, um, you started with permanent uh, before the pandemic, of course, but now um, in a development uh, where several things come together, like. I mean, we are in Brussels right now, so it's it's a city which is very much dominated by, by administration and especially also European administration. But with the Brexit um, and some other developments, uh, office space, uh, well, there's more than enough in Brussels. And now with the pandemic, people are working more from home. Uh, I know people working for the European Union who haven't been in their offices for half a year or even almost a year now and so on. So your project is coming with the pandemic in a... In a um, uh, in a, it, into a development where the city by itself also changes. And um, I don't want to imagine that uh, in, in I, I don't dare to imagine that in a few years, everything around Avenue Louise will be uh, community land trust buildings, but um, there will maybe be some buildings empty now in the next time where we have to discuss 
as a city in a city by the city how we deal with that and uh, maybe that is also well, giving you a push in the back in a positive sense i think one thing obviously what i mean it's been really affecting me and my thinking a lot is or at least the pandemic has shown how important how important it is for people to get access to have access to a decent home which lots of people in brussels do not have so many people who are living in really horrible living conditions uh, living in cellars, there's homes in Brussels without running water, without electricity. Imagine that you have to then stay with three kids in one room. Of course, the kids come out on the street and then, you know, we know what happens after and how the kind of tension that that has, has created. So the, the, the importance of housing is, is just heightened and, and the sense of inequality that is also generated between those who have access to a decent home and who, those who, who don't have access to a decent home, including public infrastructure around it, a, a park to walk, etc. It's one thing, but I think also the second thing is the, uh, what happens to a society when we, when we are all locked up and when, when so we're gonna have to also rethink social relation uh, outside of, you know, cutting, land and bits, bits and pieces and building big big walls around it it's like how can we how can we remain a community uh, without yeah uh, community in the sense that we don't um, yeah we have to really rethink I think space also in relation to that um, create more shared space more open space more porous space more permeable space in the city where where when maybe those functions, living, working, being, public spaces is, is just kind of, it sounds a little bit contradictory to the, to, the pan, to, the, to the whole idea of everybody staying in their own home, but I have a tendency to really think otherwise. I think we should get, yeah. we, we need less walls and more, I would say. One, one thing maybe we have to watch out for is um, maybe indeed uh, the offices now are empty, but uh, that has happened before. Um, but uh, and then they find ways to to yeah to to kind of reach over the gap like if they can keep like 10 years still uh, be uh, the owner of those buildings and uh, and sites they just um, step over the gap of the crisis and then uh, they they rent it out as offices again so i think there is also a danger to think, okay, there is enough space now. They will just find out like temporary use, uh, temporary uh, occupations, maybe uh, apartments in offices, but then maybe in 10 years, they're still the owner of those buildings. And when they can rent it out as offices again, uh, the people are out. So we have to yeah, look for more durable, um, durable structural um, interventions in the city, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we keep it like that in this talk, and uh, yeah. because yeah, but the, the last point that you said is is really quite interesting. Also, because uh, I mean, we have approximately like one entire commune of empty space in Brussels right now, mm. and for some part, uh, it's really sad to see that. On the other hand, if now the office buildings are getting more and more empty, they are also not very suitable. So there have to be a lot of changes to use them as residential buildings. And you might be right that 
there could be a counter movement just waiting and seeing what happens and because the economic situation is still the same. I think this is uh, it's a, it's a huge project also in the sense of topics which we maybe just touched. But um, yeah, thank you very much. I, I would like to, to keep it like that. And for everybody who is interested, um, Permanent is very, very open and you can always turn to the website. And maybe we also put it in the little text when we yeah. put up this podcast. Um, so yeah, thank you both. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank so, you, Olaf. Yeah. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Do you still want to add something or so? Because I think we we have quite a. Mm -hmm. an, an I just want to say that uh, yeah, the coming months we have uh, the workshops. They will be uh, more or less public, and there will be uh, things coming out of that. And uh, in the summer, we are also planning like a more uh, public event. And maybe after that, we can do uh, a radio part two. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. And I hope that things are moving forward. Also, it's not easy to do it at the moment. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, also in that sense, I think we had some tiny uh, interruptions, not really, but like not so good connections. Uh, I hope that to listen to it will be fine because we did this um, yeah, via telephone or the computer more. Telephone yeah. is very old fashioned. No, it was <laughs> Zoom. Um, so thank you very, very much. And uh, yeah, would be great to do another one when things proceed. Thank you. Bye, Ola. Ciao. Bye. You're listening to Radio Level 5.